Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. I'm really unbelievably excited to bring you this week's podcast, which is all about frozen toes, ice cold rain, blizzards, isolation in the wilderness, and a very extremely long, long hike. If you haven't heard of Sean Forey or his partner, Justin Lichter, hold your horses because (laughs) you're about to be blown away by their story. They set out in the late fall of 2014, and they set out to be the very first people to successfully complete a winter through hike of the 2,650-mile Pacific Crest Trail, which goes, I I believe they started at the very northern part of Washington on the Canadian border, and it goes all the way through Washington, Oregon, California, to the border with Mexico. It's a quest that takes most regular through hikers months to complete in the summer when the weather is pristine. But Sean and Justin aren't your normal everyday through hikers. They're two people who are extremely experienced in the outdoors, who have logged tens of thousands of miles on various trails around the world. In fact, one of the reasons I'm really, really excited that I was able to talk to Sean is because I honestly believe he has to be one of the most experienced through hikers on the planet Earth. <laughs> I'm looking through uh, on his website, seanforry.com, S-H-A-W-N-F-O-R-R-Y.com. It talks about all his previous hikes. You got the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, Wayne's Wright Trail, which is from coast to coast on, in England, uh, El Camino de Santiago, which is the big trail in France and Spain. The Continental Divide Trail, which is uh, through the Rocky Mountains from Canada to Mexico, kind of a little bit further east than the Pacific Crest Trail, and so on and so forth. I mean, he if you are thinking about a long trail, quote-unquote, or a through-hike, Sean has done it. And some of the times he's done these trails with his partner, Justin. So these two were kind of the perfect fit for two guys that were going to attempt a winter through hike. Just to give you guys an idea, though, of how serious this undertaking was, the only other people who reportedly have tried this before back in 1983, were found at the bottom of a 100-foot cliff after they lost the trail. So it was a serious endeavor for Sean and Justin. And just an unbelievable accomplishment. This is an accomplishment of endurance that's right up there with any other endurance accomplishment you can think of. Because I just want you to imagine your, the coldest you've been. <laughs> I don't know when that would be for you. I remember for me, it was standing outside my apartment in negative 20 degrees in Iowa City, <laughs> waiting for the bus to take me to a class I really didn't even want to go to. And the wind was blowing really hard, and I was covered from head to toe with the biggest coat I have. And I remember those five minutes being so unbelievably miserable that I could barely stand it. Now, imagine just being cold and staying outside the whole entire day, but not going to a warm house at the end of the day, but rather throwing out a tent and jumping in your sleeping bag after walking over 25 miles in the freezing cold. 
and doing that day after day after day for months. It's impressive. And in fact, Sean was just a really impressive guy, very well-spoken, did a great job answering my questions. Um, Just a heads up, right before we started recording this podcast, literally five minutes before we started recording, my internet went down, (laughs) which means my Skype, which I usually record on, didn't work. And thankfully, Sean was really flexible with me as I recorded this podcast holding my phone up to my microphone on my computer. So if the sound quality isn't up to key, that's why. We had to, we had to improvise. And I'm going to be honest, if I had to give myself a grade as a podcast host on this episode, I would give myself a solid C. <laughs> Because I learned very quickly that holding your iPhone up to a microphone and continuously scrolling over to make sure it was actually recording isn't necessarily the best way to be present in a conversation. So I would say I felt like I did more of an interview than an actual podcast conversation. So I apologize for that. It's not to the level of standards I would like to hold myself up to. But Sean, on the other hand, I would give him an A+. (laughs) And his story, higher than an A+. A plus with extra credit, because it's unbelievable. It would be, if I had to sum it up, it would essentially be all about having an audacious goal and all the hardships you are willing to undertake in order to achieve that goal. And that kind of sums up what the Like a Bigfoot podcast mindset is. If you finish this episode and you really want to hear about more self-induced misery, (laughs) I would suggest checking out uh, episode number 12 of our podcast with Cameron Dorn, setting the world record for burpees in 24 hours. And episode 20 with the Iron Cowboy James Lawrence when he did 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days. These three, I would say, all kind of have a similar theme of self-induced misery (laughs) to accomplish something insane. So without further ado, here's the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 27 with Sean Forey. All right, Sean, I had you, I'm having you on the podcast today because I saw an outside magazine article about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail in the winter, and it blew my mind, and so I just wanted to kind of hear that story, to be honest with you. <laughs> Great. Well, it, uh, it blew my mind, so I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I I did a little further research, and... Um, there was a New York times article also that just said, you think your winter was rough. (laughs) And, uh, it had kind of this, it had this one paragraph that really caught my attention that I kind of want to hear more about. So it said one difficult day came in Northern California when a storm dropped 10 inches of rain in 24 hours, winds reached 70 miles per hour. And both men tumbled into a swollen torrent of a river that left them and their gear drenched and frigid. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I'd love to uh, stretch up those memories and uh, dive in. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting to just think about the the context of the winter hike in broad speak and you know, sort of the winter that we planned it being didn't end up being that way. Um, you know, we planned for a much snowier, um, more skiable terrain and uh, conditions, and it ended up just being a, a mix of um, variable snowback. And and that storm in particular, you know, is one of those hikes, you know, I think they dubbed it the storm of the century, and it um, we, were, we were passing through the Northern California region, and it, they got 10 to 14 inches of rain in a 24, 48-hour period. So, um, 
you know, for us, for Justin and I, we were constantly monitoring the weather. We, you know, we sort of lived and breathed by the daily weather weather report. So we knew that storm was coming, and you know, you do the best you can to sort of uh, mentally prepare yourselves um, for the conditions that you might see. And uh, I guess maybe a blessing in disguise for that storm in particular is um, when we started the trip. Uh, it was about 30 days of straight rain, sleet, snow, <laughs> slush. Uh, you name it. So another day in those conditions was just par for course for us that winter. Yeah. And, um, you know, you just sort of get in sort of a, a mental trance of just enduring through the day and sort of facing whatever uh, obstacles are present themselves that day. So it, it was a, a roller coaster day where, um, you know, we're on an exposed ridge on the PCT and the winds are howling and the winds, uh, it's just dumping rain. Um, there's a finite amount of time where you're going to stay sanely dry and that, that window closes really, really quick in the morning. Um, and yeah, when we got sort of throughout the course of that day, we realized that in the fall of that, that prior year, there was a, a fire that came to that area and, um, sort of burned out a lot of these, uh, uh, bridges that you cross along the PCT and, um, you know, with the sort of flash flooding and high water conditions and with no bridges, um, it, you know, made for some really wet crossings. And um, when, when conditions are right at freezing level, it's, you know, you got to be really smart with your decisions and why you're choosing to get wet or wetter and cross where you're crossing. And um, so the, I think that the trip as a whole just keeps you on your toes day in and day out. Yeah, it's almost more dangerous when it's right at freezing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's prime uh, hypothermic conditions. Um, so staying dry is one of the, the best barriers for maintaining or regulating your temperature. And, um, you know, when you fall in a creek and you're <laughs> soaked and the pack contents are so, you really got to stop and reevaluate of how you're going to proceed to uh, stay sane and stay, stay safe the rest of the day. Yeah, so how did you guys, um, how did you prepare for the wetness? Like, how did you battle it? And then how did you stay sane during just, like, the unbearable downpour? Right. <laughs> um, I think by your experience, really, you, you can lean on these times that you've been through. You know, anytime you're sort of outside your comfort zone prior, you're just expanding upon that those prior experiences. Um, so both Justin and myself have done extended um, winter expeditions in the past. Um, he's done the Appalachian Trail during the winter, and I used to guide dog setting tours um, in Minnesota in the winter, so minus 20, 30, 40 was commonplace. Um, so I think having being in those extreme conditions and, and being on prior trips where you're sort of pushing through those mental barriers, um, you sort of know you've been in, in similar conditions before you can do it it's just a matter of buckling down and um sort of seeing the silver lining in the day um i think something that always pushes me forward is usually some of my best moments on trail come directly after some of my worst moments so you get that uh, that greater perspective of um sort of the emotional highs and lows to a trip yeah definitely can you take me through your story with hiking um, how did you get started? Um, yeah, I mean, I was uh, lucky enough to grow up in a wooded area uh, in Pennsylvania. So okay. I spent a lot of time in the outdoors, and, but I, I didn't start backpacking until after high school. Um, so it was, you know, a completely new experience. And um, the first long hike I ever did, I was 20 and did the Appalachian Trail. You know, it's a very common rite of passage for a lot of distance hikers. Um, and just fell in love with the experience. Um, I mean, it's complete freedom to sort of choose how your day looks each day. And, um, I think it's just a really good metaphor for working towards, you're literally walking towards a goal, um, <laughs> in mind. Yeah. I um, always, so I just, I, th I think of it and I've, I've never actually done a through hike. I've hiked along the Appalachian trail quite a bit when I lived in Virginia and I always tried to 
get into the mindset of what it would be like to do this day in and day out for five months. And it's one of the topics that really fascinates me. Um, but like you said, the one thing that I think is just a positive benefit that you might not see is you literally have one way of messing up is to stop walking. <laughs> and I think, right. I think if you're, if you're a person who, I don't know, maybe you're like lost or you don't exactly know what your purpose is and you want to find your purpose, it seems like a great, a great adventure to have to really, you know, make that clear to you, to yourself. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's what speaks to me about, you know, uh, distance hiking is, um, you, you really are sort of stripped of any excuses. I mean, you're carrying what you need on your back and there's one goal in mind. It's, uh, you get into a routine and it's, it, you know, in some ways it's a very monotonous routine. You get up and start walking until the end of the day. Um, but there's just all these amazing little experiences in each day that just make it really unique. And it, it literally is you and the experience each day. And, you know, if you have a hard day, um, you know, you can reflect back on your actions and why you're in that situation. And, um, you know, I think it's an amazing way to sort of build purpose and confidence and, and who you are and what your abilities are just on a daily basis. It gets constantly reinforced. Yeah, definitely. What's uh, what's some of your favorite spots on the Appalachian Trail? Um, probably New England. I mean, that that was really my first time. There's spots spots in New England that you get above tree line, and that was my first time experiencing that. And I think that that sort of higher, wilder uh, terrain um, just really speaks to me. And you know, you can look back on where you started that day and look ahead to where you're, you're going to be going. So it really sort of grounds you in a sense of place while you're traveling. Okay, that's awesome, man. Um, was there was there any moment during that first hike where you really faced self-doubt? I, You know, I think um, I didn't have a lot of experience when I first started. And, um, you, you know, I think when you're backpacking for the first time your your mind does a lot of crazy things whether it's the, the noises you hear at night and um just being alone by yourself in the woods and um you know you start missing family and i think those are where the moments of self-doubt can come in is those sort of quieter lonelier moments um but i i'd say when i would juxtapose that to the life i had prior you know working at a normal nine to five job and sort of following the, the standard routine of life, um, the, the, that was motivation enough to keep walking, uh, to sort of keep walking away from that traditional uh, way of life. Gotcha. Um, yeah, man, that, that's the thing, the whole sleeping in the middle of the woods by yourself in the, in the dark night. And I don't know, no, like, I guess for the people who haven't done done anything like you've done uh you just assume you're gonna see a bear every single day right yeah every little twig snap is the biggest scariest thing out there (laughs) so when do you get over that how long does that take to kind of just overcome that fear you know i think when it happens day in every night after a while you're sort of like okay nothing's happening and you justify in your mind that it's just commonplace and you know, 15 years later, uh, having done the Appalachian Trail, it's like I, I sleep far better now in the backcountry. It just becomes, you know, uh, a sense of place of comfort. Yeah. Yeah. So what what uh, what did your journey look like after the Appalachian Trail? Um, so that that was really the, the trigger for me to continue seeking out adventures like that. Um, the year after, I went out and did the Pacific Crest Trail during the summertime. Um, and then did the Continental Divide uh, a year or two after that. And every summer um, since that Appalachian Trail summer, I've gone out and hiked something. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to hike abroad in Nepal and New Zealand and Canada. Um, so I'm, it's really just um, building in a progression of what what's something new I want to see or a skill I want to develop further or like continuing how to challenge myself. Um, those become really key internal motivators for 
why I want to keep heading out year after year. Okay. Um, which, out of the three, so the three big ones in the United States are Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest, and Continental, right? Or is there one I'm missing? Those are the, the, the big three, and they call those the, the triple crown of hiking. Okay. Which one's the, the most challenging one? Which one's the most beautiful one, in your opinion, since you've done them all? Um, I would say mile for mile, the Pacific Crest Trail is probably hands down one of the most scenic trails in the world. Um, you just head through such a varying um, degree of different terrain and sceneries and conditions. Uh, I mean, you're in the desert, you're in the snow, uh, you're in the alpine. Um, so it's just ever-changing, ever-evolving. Uh, so that one speaks near and dear to my heart. And then I think the Continental Divide Trail is a trail that sort of like sets you free from um, traditional hiking per se, where there it's sort of an undefined route. You get to choose um, alternative routes or just sort of create your own route uh, as you go. So rather than following someone else else's defined path and trail, you get to sort of blaze your own trail and go cross country or, you know, it really has this choose your own adventure feel to it. That's cool. That's good. And what states does that one go through? That's the one I don't know as much about. Yeah, it, it sort of hugs the spine of the Rockies. Um, so starts in, depending on which way you start, but it's Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, I live in Colorado right now and, um, I just discovered the beginning of the Colorado trail kind of on accident because <laughs> I was taking my daughter hiking in this, uh, it's like in like Southern Denver kind of area. And, yeah. and I, we got to the hiking trailhead and it said Colorado trail. And I was like, what? So, um, that's definitely one I want to explore. I don't know about doing it all in one shot, but definitely, uh, doing it in sections. Yeah, it, it hits some amazing parts of Colorado. I mean, just keep walking that thing. You'll end up over in Durango. Yeah. Do <laughs> the San Juan. Pretty uh, amazing corner of the state. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, So what? how did the Pacific Crest Trail winter hike idea form? Um, yeah, so my... Uh, um, one of my good friends, Justin Lichter, and I, we've done a lot of other prior hikes together. Uh, we actually met on the Pacific Crest Trail in 2004 during the summertime and just kept in touch. And um, I, I feel like him and I have sort of started pioneering or uh, pursuing um, harder and harder, um, more challenging personal expeditions. Um, we set off and hiked the, the Hayduke Trail one year, which very few people have hiked. Um, continuously and then we went off and hiked the spine of Nepal across the Great Himalaya Trail. Oh. Um, same with the Tearoa Trail down in New Zealand. So we've done a lot of these um, sort of one-off or first ever sort of hikes like that prior. And for us it's just again that that, that internal motivation to see something new, try something new uh, and continue sort of pushing your own skill development and um, sort of self-limitations and the PCT for both of us is one of our favorite trails we've ever been on. And, um, we're both really keen on skiing and ski touring. So we've always had this idea of what would happen if we sort of married the two together and tried to see the trail in a new light. And that seed was planted, um, uh, probably back in 2011. And, you know, it was about a four or five year process of really whittling down this idea into a tangible goal that, attainable at the time yeah what uh what makes justin what how does he compliment you um as a partner i think we we both have a, a similar mentality where we know when to push each other and when to back off you know if the other person's having a hard day and um i think we both have the same internal uh motivator of knowing that there's going to be hard times, you can't get around that fact, but really appreciating being out there when the times are good. Um, so there's that intrinsic uh, desire within both of us. And in terms of skills, I think uh, for this trip in particular, like um, 
Justin, for instance, has a really strong background in ski patrol and avalanche awareness. Um, and I have a little bit stronger background in, in um, cold weather expeditions and um, sort of that, that background. So it seemed like we could fill the gaps of sort of the unknowns that we were going to be heading into with this trip. Yeah, definitely. So, oh man. So <laughs> tell me, wrap my head around this. What do you guys have left to talk about at this point? I mean, do you have conversations still on the trail or since you've been hiking with each other for, you know, a few different trips, are you just like going to, you know, mindless mode? Yeah, you would think, I think we've traveled, I don't know, probably seven or 8,000 miles together at this point. Um, <laughs> so we know each other really well. Um, he's actually my neighbor. So no. we were no way. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I think the the nature of a, a long hike is your your mind is allowed to wander and think about all kinds of crazy things, and it's also okay to have moments of silence. And I think we have that good balance of we can sort of be deep in our own thoughts, and not it's not uncomfortable to, to be in the silence. And then um, you know we can engage each other and and conversations and a lot of it revolves around like logistics of the trail and oh, what's yeah. coming up ahead and how we're going to make decisions so that stuff always becomes ever present um but it's fun you know to make comparisons of like oh this trail this section feels like this when we went through there and um or you can just go away um some crazy tangent of what's <laughs> the best jelly bean flavor whatever it is you know you can speak for four hours on that topic if you want <laughs> You could like write a college thesis on jelly bean flavors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got time, right? Well, what is it? What is it? Just out of curiosity. Oh, that's a great. Well, it's, I think it's still for debate. <laughs> um. So I guess speaking of food, what did you guys do for for food during the hike? Um. Yeah. So you know, a, a trip of this nature, we really had to. Um, make a couple tweaks to our normal um, food strategies and one of the biggest changes that we made was knowing that during the day we weren't going to stop for extended breaks so everything had to be um, quick to eat, uh, super easy to open and unpack um, and sort of eat as you go. Um, probably 10 or 15 minutes was the limit of when we could stop before we started getting too cold. Um, so anytime we were going to the grocery store, you know, at a resupply point, our eyes definitely went towards products that could, um, you could just open with a wrapper and that, that's all the preparation that went into it. So <laughs> ate an ungodly amount of energy bars and string cheese and, um, you know, if you can open it um, with a simple wrapper, I probably ate it during that trip. Yeah. Do you go with like just the junk food like candy and potato chips and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, you, you try and strike a balance of eating something nutritional with whatever your body's craving at that point. So, um, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, high calorie energy bars and um, really nutritious grains. And other times it's you're carrying a one pound gummy bear just gnawing <laughs> away at that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a ultra runner is kind of the hobby I'm doing right now and a 1 pound gummy bear sounds like the best source of energy ever. Yeah, if that's if that's what makes you wake up in the morning, then you should treat yourself to that. <laughs> um so how cold did it get? I mean, what was I know that I obviously it fluctuates and you're going from uh Washington all the way to Southern California, but you know, what was like the typical day temperature wise? Um, probably on average, we were probably at freezing or just above freezing. Um, and you know, when we got to Southern California through the, the SoCal desert, we were, we were in shorts and running shoes at that point, you know, it was March or late February. So that was one extreme of sort of being in this shoulder season, spring, really warm con- Conditions and at, at our coldest point, uh, there was a cold snap coming through Oregon, um, where the temp dropped to about minus five, minus ten for about a week. 
Um, and on top of that, we got about a three three foot storm that we were um, <laughs> navigating through. What uh, what's so, what's your str- <laughs> what's your strategy in the tent to stay warm? Because I guess if you that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around is yeah, it sucks being outside hiking and but at least you're moving around then but when you set up camp at night what's your strategy for staying warm um yeah i think our our evening routine definitely became a a place of serenity each night and a place to regroup and so we wanted that to be as, as comfortable as possible and i think our um we might have a skewed view of what comfort is uh i mean we use a tarp the entire trip um just a pyramid tarp um and you know, as long as your sleep system's warm and dry, um, you can get real happy in the in those evening um, places. Because um, during the winter, I think a thing that people forget is there was only about 11 hours of daylight during the winter. Um, so our travel day was really short, and we had to just get up and move. Uh, but you had a lot of time to recover at night, um, which was you know great for the body and great for the mind, just to crawl into a warm sleeping bag and. Um, just get some downtime. Yeah, how many miles were you doing a day? I think we averaged about twenty to twenty-five throughout the trip. Okay, that's a crazy um, amount, yeah, right? Like that's a, towards the upper end of through hiking um, mileage, right? Yeah, I, I, I have to look back, but I think we finished the hike in one hundred and thirty-two days. And for comparison, um, when I hiked it in the summertime, it took me 120 days. Um, so most people take, you know, four to six months to hike the trail in the summertime. And um, I think some people were shocked or surprised to see we, we hiked it faster in the winter than some people do in the summer. So we were, we were moving. Yeah. Do you, do you train for this? I mean, what's your, uh, what's your exercise regimen? Like before the hike, what do you do? Yeah, I th- you know, I think just keeping a baseline of general health is important and helpful. Um, but nothing I've found really trains your body for being on its feet for 15, 16 hours a day or however long the trip's going to be. Um, so rather than putting a ton of time into training, uh, I just try and maintain a, a baseline uh, fitness level and then the first week or two, you're sort of ramping up. So you're not hitting the ground running. Um, You might taper back on your miles the first week just to let your body break in and adjust. Okay. Yeah, uh, so did the first week, are you not doing as many miles? Yeah, we're probably, you know, tapering back to 15, uh, you know, high teens, maybe capping it at 20 at most. Okay. Okay. Uh (laughs) What a, yeah, I think uh, what the mentality was for why we were traveling so fast uh, for that trip is um, the way we, we calendared the trip, we were really timing, um, trying to get through the high Sierra of California during um, January. There, we, looking at historic weather data, we knew there'd be, there tends to be a drier January. Um, like a pocket of stable weather. So we really wanted to push to get to there um, to try and line up going through the, the most remote, highest portion of the trail during that. Um, that that's more stable January time frame. Um, so we when we started the trip, it was every minute counts because we wanted to hit that January uh, time frame. Yeah, what, uh, what day did you start the trip? We started um, right around... Sort of the last week in October, I believe. Okay. Is that... So thinking about a, an obstacle that potentially could happen that far ahead, you know, not getting there in January, does that add extra stress for you? Or how do you kind of... How do you battle that, uh, I guess, those worries, worrisome thoughts? Yeah, I think um, just leaning on... You know, you do a lot of planning... Uh, for a trip like this and the interesting thing is um, as soon as you start the trip you sort of throw out all that planning because who knows what's going to happen <laughs> um, so we we know we sort of paced out um, what our day-to-day mileage could be and if that would 
sync up with getting to that, you know, the certain place along the trail by a certain day. Um, so you sort of like keeping mental tabs, like, okay, we went a little further this day, or we got a little bit behind. Um, but, you know, I think having that long, long-term goal in your mind really helps keep you motivated along the way. It's really easy to get into a town and dry out and eat a hot meal and maybe delay a little longer when you head back out on the trail. But with the tight weather window that we were working within, we, you know, every minute counted. So we took advantage of that. Yeah. 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 What, what was, uh, what was the hiking communities? What was their reaction to hearing about this? like quest you guys are on uh yeah it was uh the the ultra the distance hiking community is one of the most supportive um communities out there i mean everybody can relate you do one trail and you meet somebody that has done another trail and it, you, you know you become instant friends uh there's just like that shared bond of shared experiences and um you know, the unique thing of doing a trail like that in the winter is very few other people are out. So you sort of become, um, like the only game in town or the only, the only thing happening in the trail community during that time. So there was a, a huge following that started to build towards the middle of the trip. Um, so we just got a ton of really supportive emails and, um, people meeting us along the, the hike. And, you know, when we went, 1700 miles without seeing another person on trail so um to have that external support knowing that network was there to sort of cheer us along it makes a huge difference in your morale each day yeah then it kind of holds you accountable or like did you go in into this with the mindset of 100 we're finishing this or was there a moment on the trail where you realized yeah we're going to be okay um, I think we were humble enough going into a trip like that, that we were, we were fully aware that the odds were against us. And I think you have to sort of come to terms with that, that you have to know when to call it, when it, if conditions are calling for that and to continue on at the, the risk of, um, endangering yourself, you know, you have to be sort of that level headed approach of calling it when you need to. Uh, so we, our approach was just to take each day at a time and sort of tick away at the progress and sort of our, our lowest point along the, the, the whole trail was, um, or I guess the most trying was during that cold snap in Oregon when it was minus five, minus 10, um, that storm came in sooner than we anticipated and we were, we were planning on switching our full winter kit at the next town, the next resupply point. And the storm came in early, so we were caught off guard a little bit, and we're still in sort of our, our fall hiking gear, which meant we were in, um, you know, waterproof hiking boots, uh, but not nothing insulated or, um, you know, ready for that level of um, cold. Uh, so both of us ended up sustaining uh, some minor frostbite to our feet. Um, and sort of the nature of frostbite, you really don't know how bad it's going to be until, you know, several weeks later until the conditions uh, really present themselves or the symptoms. Um, so that was a, a really trying moment along the, the hike where, you know, we, with this go, go, go mentality, we dropped the ball a little bit and tried to push it a little too far of um, before we switched to our heavier full winter kit. And, you know, it came back to bite us where, you know, we, we had to sit down and have that conversation of, you know, this could be it. And um, I don't know if it's going to be worth worth it or safe to continue. So, uh, you know, that was uh, for both of us a really uh, tenuous moment and I think a real uh, eye-opening moment. What was the deciding factor to continue? For both of us, it was a matter of, you know, are we still enjoying the hike? Um, are our feet capable of continuing? You know, um, you know, we were constantly monitoring for infection. You know, it was basically like wound management for the next uh, two or three months as we sort of let the frostbite recover. Um, so every day you, in the morning when you put on your shoes, it's, 
it's it's a reminder of you know don't don't mess up. Um, so I felt like we got our one get out of jail free card, and um, you know we really had to tighten up our, our management plan and um, just continue to make smart decisions. Yeah, were you going through a massive amount of pain or just discomfort? Um, I would say it was it was fairly painful. I mean, um, I had it on the, the outside of both of my feet, and Justin had it on sort of the tip of one of his toes. So, you know, anytime you have a misstep or kick something, or you're traversing and you're, now you're sort of side hilling in your feet, you're just putting a ton of pressure right on those those tender wounds. So. There's no forgetting that um, it took, you know, a 30-minute mistake one day uh, to get to that point. And um, I, I would be lying if there wasn't uh, some daily pain we were, we were pushing through. Yeah. So how do you guys maintain positive outlooks at that point? I think one of the main things for us was, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, increase in popularity with the Pacific Crest Trail, which is great. You know, there's more people getting out there and appreciating it and experiencing it. And I think us being aware of that mentality or that phenomenon, um, for us, it was amazing to be out there and have the trail totally to ourselves. Um, you know, you're passing through the, these unreal, um, pristine wilderness areas that are freshly blanketed in snow and you have it all to yourself. You don't see a single track. Um, out there and at most you might see an animal track so it's like you don't feel fully alone but you know you're experiencing this for yourselves and no one else has been out there um so you know every day just became really unique and and special and um and it's sort of it almost felt like visiting an old friend you know you you can recall 10 years prior of seeing a familiar uh, landscape or uh, milestone or or mountain or peak and sort of there's a little bit of nostalgia there, but also, um, you know, getting to experience it that almost for the first time again. Yeah. Well, anytime you go out in the wilderness of your, if you go in different seasons or really even di- different days and different weather, you're going to have a different experience. And yeah, that's really cool. Did you, did you guys have any wildlife encounters? Um, probably the, the really cool one or unique one that I, I felt was special was we were coming through the Crater Lake region in Oregon, and uh, it was snowing a little bit, um, just enough to put a dusting on the trail, and we stopped for a quick five-minute snack break, and well, so we, you know, went off trail just shortly or briefly to, you know, find some cover under a tree. And when we came back to the trail, we could tell there was these fresh wolf prints Whoa. Um, that were going through the trail. And um, there's a, a wolf in the, that area called OR7 that has a beacon on it. And um, they've been tracking that wolf for, for many years. And um, it's probably one of the first wolves to re-enter uh, California since, I think, the 20s. So um, it literally passed probably by us while we were taking that snack break. And, you know... Had we not been out there, we never would have experienced that. Yeah. Wow. So that's the first one back in California? Yeah, it's been migrating all over southern Oregon and northern California. And, um, yeah, if, if um, it's, a, it's just like lone wolf that um, has been back in California several times, it, it'll migrate that far south. Wow. That's, all, that's such a cool experience. <laughs> have you... Have you had, maybe not on Pacific Crest, but have you had encounters with bears or mountain lions or, you know, moose? I heard of a moose attacking a guy in Aspen this week, <laughs> which, which I hear the, I hear they're honestly like some of the most dangerous animals out here um, because they're so territorial. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a huge animal and they're blind and can't see and... Um, they don't see you or sense you until it's too late and then you startle, startle them and they don't like that. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've definitely experienced that myself. Um, and you know, I've, I experienced the gamut of wolves, bears and mountain lions. And, um, you know, at this point I sort of see it as, um, a unique opportunity more so than a fear-based, 
oh my god, this thing's gonna eat me. Yeah. Um, I think there's very few things that are like truly out there stalking you and want to kill you uh, in terms of wildlife. So I think those interactions become more meaningful and special, knowing that um, you know it's just this intersectionality of you and this animal in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I think that's if people don't go explore the wilderness or don't go more than a mile into the trail, you don't get to have those experiences. And they're, they're always just, they're always breathtaking. Even if I've seen a deer like thousands of times at this point, but every time I'll stop and just look at it and watch it like every single time. (laughs) So I mean, I think one of the cool things that I've experienced in Colorado is especially in the fall, you get these huge elk herds just bugling right at dusk and, I mean, if you can experience that once in your life, it's pretty amazing. It's crazy. They make the weirdest, craziest noises. Yeah, um, super eerie. Yeah, yeah. But um, okay, so you guys are going along, and I mean, I don't want to ask like, when does it get easy? But when does the Pacific Crest Trail kind of? I don't know. When do you know you're kind of past the big, very difficult obstacles? Um, there's a very distinct point on the, the trail that we sort of knew we were going to, uh, complete the, the hike and, uh, it actually presented some interesting challenges of, an, of, of its own. Um, so right when you leave the high Sierra, um, it's one of the longest wilderness areas in it's the longest continuous wilderness area in the lower 48. And the unique thing about the winter time is any of the roads that cross the Sierra uh, are closed, you know, because of snow. So that section became even more remote, even longer, and even just more mentally challenging. Uh, so we knew when we were entering, you know, it's a 400 mile range, um, where I think we had one resupply during those 400 miles. Um, so when you know when you're heading into something like that, you you sort of know you're you're in it to win it at that point. And that for us was the mental crux um, and, you know, the physical crux of the whole trip. Um, so getting out of the, the high Sierra, um, we were definitely calor- calorically depleted and, um, but it had the sense of from that point, we had 650 miles of desert hiking. You know, you go up, across some higher ranges that can get snow and you might have to deal with that. But at that point it was going to be nothing that we haven't seen already. Um, and it was this really interesting transition to the hike where the entire time prior to that was moments of not knowing if you were going to complete the hike or you need to continuously be on your toes and push and make smart decisions. And you hit that tipping point where it now becomes a known thing that, um, we can pull this off, we can do this, and we still have 600 miles to hike. So it was a little bit of internal need to rally and find new purpose because um, that sense of daily challenge was gone. Uh, you know, as crazy as it sounds to say, you still have 600 miles to walk. Um, we both have done that before. We've, you know, hiked that far in a desert before. Um, so it was a little bit, it became a little bit more of a known. And it was interesting to feel that sort of internal drive or motivation decline a little bit because that, that excitement and that mental challenge every day was, was just a little bit different or, or depleted in some ways. Yeah, so how did you handle that? Did you make up new challenges? or? Uh, so surprisingly, we did. Um, <laughs> there's um, Throughout the desert in the summertime, um, uh, folks will like cash water for other hikers and it's, it's a controversial sort of um, thing that happens along the trail. You know, people are putting water out and they're, those water jugs might not get recollected. So it's a little bit of like a leave no trace yeah. uh, consideration. Um, so our, our thought was we were all gonna, only going to use natural water sources and not rely on any water caches along the way. So, um, you know, it made for some 30 to 45 mile water, waterless stretches. Um, but you know, you find it was like, why not at that point? Let's just try and find, uh, let's make it even more hard. Let's make it even crazier at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? 
<laughs> it's a Friday. Why not? <laughs> That's awesome, man. So what, what did the last day or just on any of these hikes, what does the last day feel like? It has to be a, just a crazy trip. Yeah. It's, it's you know, the whole trip is you're working towards that day, right? Yeah. And, um, it's just really retrospective and introspective day where you're looking back on all the former obstacles you ever came and hard moments and the really enlightening moments and you know it's going to come to an end and for a lot of hikers that are out there for extended periods of time it's it's one of the most joyful and hardest days that you're going to experience Um, especially the day after when you stop hiking you know that that sense of purpose and that routine is abruptly stops um so you know for us we knew that day was going to come and the, the days and weeks leading up to it you just you're trying to squeeze out every last meaning and and uh experience um that is happening during the day and um you know to some in some ways it's it's gratifying that the trip is over and uh you know the, the rewards behind it and just the um the sense of overcoming all those doubts, self-doubts and all that planning time and preparation time, like all the effort you put into it has paid off. And you'll always, in some regards, just want it to, uh, to continue on. And you know, in some ways you wish, wish your whole life could be that sense of adventure like that. Yeah. Is that why, you know, you've done a hike like this every summer since the Appalachian Trail? You know, I would say adventuring is a drug. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it engages your brain in so many ways, and the, the endorphins that it releases. Um, there is, you know, that hiker's higher, that runner's high. You know, that so many people talk about. Um, there's merit to that that feeling. Um, and I think just engaging in wilderness areas like that, um, and just letting your mind wander, it it, it changes you in, in ways and. Um, it, it, there's a high appeal to trying to relive that in some, some new way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What, uh, when you're in the middle of the woods, just suffering, what's one creature comfort you're looking forward to <laughs> back in society? Probably some hot pizza or uh, a warm shower, maybe. Yeah. Pizza and ice cream and hot shower, you know, that the beauty of a, a long trail is it is mentally broken up into these um, milestones and resupply points. So it's like it's easily get overwhelmed of, oh, my God, I have 2,600 miles in front of me. Or you can think, okay, I have 80 miles to the next hot shower. Yeah. Which, which one do you think about? That's, yeah. that's so much more doable. Um, yeah. How good does pizza taste after, like, a hard day of hiking? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's it's definitely yeah. like if I'm doing uh, an endurance race, all I'm thinking about in the last, you know, last half of the race is pizza and beer, basically. So, yeah, I mean, thank God there's a, the hiker hunger sets in. It's such an amazing <laughs> blessing and a curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you do you have any books you'd recommend if people want to learn more about, um, through hiking? I think there's, there's a lot of really good personal stories out there, uh, about people. Um, you know, the, the whole Cheryl Strait book blew up and yeah. that really put the PCT on the map. And I think it, you know, the, those human touches are, are, I think, are ways for people to connect. You know, it feels like such a, um, I don't want to say like unhuman or such an out of reach thing to do, but so many people from all different walks of life go out and hike long, long trails like that, and they start with no experience. And uh, I think connecting with um, a personal story like that, it can feel grounding it achievable and attainable so um i mean you just search any anything along the pct or appalachian feathers dozens of books personal accounts that have been written and they're all great yeah yeah that's that's awesome man i 
I'm a fan, and I know he didn't actually walk the whole Appalachian Trail, but Walk in the Woods is just such a well-written book, and it's hilarious and informative um, by Bill Bryson. I don't know. The movie was terrible. The movie was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, that, that book as well put the Appalachian Trail on the map. You know, not on the map, but it definitely saw a spike in users the next year, and you know, if you've read the book, when you're out there hiking, you, you can, you know, recount these, these tales of uh, while Bill Bryson was out there. And, you know, it's a, a sense of place and a sense of connection and a sense of a connection to something greater outside yourself. Yeah, definitely. What uh, we'll, we'll leave with this, but what's, uh, I guess if someone's out there considering, you know, going out and attempting a big through hike, what's a... Uh, What's a couple pieces of advice for him? I mean, the, the biggest thing I can I say is don't make excuses. Um, there's so many life excuses that you can say get in the way of, uh, of a job or I have a house or I have all this stuff I have to um, n- negotiate and um, to sort of set those excuses aside. Um, you're going to make mistakes when you get out there, so don't fear mistakes. They're actually a blessing in disguise. Um, there's, there's such an amazing network of the hiking community to sort of, um, support you along the way and sort of make the right gear choices and make, sort of get you up to speed of how to be comfortable out there. And so that way you can really enjoy the experience. So, um, I'd say putting excuses aside and just getting out there is probably the, the single best thing you can do. Yeah. That's, that's awesome for any goal, I guess, not just through hiking, but, just get started with it and yeah that's perfect man what uh what do you got planned for this summer um i've sort of transitioned more into um winter trips due to my work schedule summers are a little bit off limits but um i've really been enjoying the the long distance ski touring thing um i think justin and myself in a couple weeks here are going to head out and probably ski tour the uh, tahoe rim trail it's just a fun get out for a week or two trip. Um, so I think that's what's uh, next on our uh, schedule. Awesome, man. Well, good luck with that, and thank you for, for chatting with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, Chris. Appreciate it. All right, see ya. All right, take care. Bye. All right, that was our interview with Sean Forey. Uh, if you want to hear more information about him, Check out his website, seanforey.com. And also, I believe they're making a documentary about this story, about the Pacific Crest winter through hike called Snow to Sand. And you can find the trailer for it on YouTube. Beyond that, I can't seem to find much more information at this point other than that it says that they are planning on a spring 2017 release online on Vimeo. And if that's the case, I will for sure be purchasing this and adding it to my collection of crazy outdoor documentaries from Vimeo. (laughs) I'm sure my wife will be thrilled. Um, That's it for today, folks. As I'm taking this time to get ready for the next podcast, which hopefully I will be recording tonight with a serious, awesome, badass athlete. (laughs) I'll tell you more later this week. Um, To find more information from us, the best way is, I would say, is join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash likeabigfoot. Or simply just go to our website, www.likeabigfoot.com, and you can find a link to SoundCloud and iTunes and all of our past episodes. And if you haven't listened to the two I recommended at the beginning, once again, those were episode number 12 with Cameron Dorn about setting the world record in burpees. At one point, his eyeballs dried off and he couldn't move his eyeballs. (laughs) Sorry for Cameron, I'm laughing, but it's laughing from your pain, not about your pain. Um, And then 
highly recommended. Check out episode number 20, Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence, 50 Ironmans, 50 States, 50 Days. Crazy. <laughs> That's all I could say. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, love talking to Sean. Sorry my audio technical difficulties gotten away from, in my opinion, me being as good of a podcast 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 host as I could. Podcast hast. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Uh at this point I'm just rambling and I'm screwing up my words. So there and my baby just woke up. So therefore I gotta go back to dad mode. Love you guys. I'll talk to you next week.